If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and uh, you can access those on your phone or if you got them, brought them in person uh, to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. We're eventually going to get there today. But before we focus on that passage, I want to lay some groundwork for where we're going over the uh, next four uh, weeks as a church and what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, today we start this series called Uncomplicated. I was really trying and struggling what to call this series of like who we are as a church and what we're about. And really, it just boiled down to this fact that, you know what? Church is not this complicated thing. It's really not. It doesn't have to be. At its very core, it's a very uncomplicated thing. And so what I want to do over the next four weeks is kind of unravel these religious strings that sometimes entangle our lives when we think about church. I'll be honest, I've been a part of churches in the past that have many times seemed to make my life more complex and more complicated. And instead of bringing joy and peace into my life, they seem to bring more guilt and turmoil into my life. And that's not what church should be, and that's not what this church is. It should be this uncomplicated, easy thing. Over the last few months, Katie has picked up the hobby of knitting. And uh, as we go around the city now, she, she finds these yarn stores, and we go in, and she buys us these beautiful, I don't know what they're called, of yarn, some spool, thank you, something of yarn. And uh, it's all wrapped beautifully and nice, and uh, she'll come home, and she'll start knitting, and I think if you don't roll it the right way, it doesn't take long. It just kind of sits there, and it ends up in this glob and blob of wrinkle. I mean, just everything is a mess, and you can't knit anymore. We, When we went on vacation in August to visit Katie's mom, she had this ball of yarn that was in such a bad shape. Her mom said, if you bring it, I will untangle it for you. And so her mom spent our vacation untangling yarn for Katie, and I thought, wow, what a, what a great what a great mom. But I, I look at that and I thought, you know what? This is what we do sometimes in church, isn't it? This simple thing, this way that we should live and just walk in life. We throw extra things on there and we get so entangled in so many other things. Religion has a way of complicating things. Since the time of Christ, people have taken his teachings and the teaching of his followers, and they have created religious systems for people to fit into. They set up regulations and rules for people to follow. They draw lines that tell people who is in and who is out. They elevate external behaviors over internal attitudes, and they create barriers to God instead of tearing down walls, and that's religious entanglement. That's not Christianity. It's not church. Think about it for a minute. Did Jesus ever say that he came to make our lives more complicated, more stressful, busier, or more hectic? No. As a matter of fact, he said the exact opposite. In Matthew 11, verse 30, he says this. He says, if you follow me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The the yoke that he's referring to there is not the yoke that cattle carry when they're plowing a field. Every rabbi, every priest in the day of Christ had a yoke, a set of teachings that his followers had to live up to. And so they had the law of Moses, but then a priest would say, here's a whole other set of rules that I came up with. This is my yoke. If you're going to follow me, you got to do these things. And Jesus says, guess what? If you follow me, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He didn't come to complicate things. 
In John 10, 10, he says this. He says he came that we would have life to the fullest, not a full schedule, not a life full of activity. He said that you and I, if we follow him, would have a full, abundant life. Yet somehow, we as a church can end up adding rules and increasing expectations of people who come and join us. So today, what I want to do is begin to strip away all of that. And I want you to understand that New City Church has no desire to be a religious organization that's keeping tabs on who's following which rules, who's in and who's out, or consuming your life with activities that actually minimize your influence for Christ on other people. Instead, we want to be a simple, uncomplicated church that helps each of us to experience and share the grace and peace of Jesus Christ with other people. That's what we want to be. So how do we do this? How do we kind of unravel this yarn of religiosity that can get so bound in our lives? It starts by understanding what actually we do to make our life complicated sometimes. You ever had those moments that you just feel crushed by expectations and responsibilities? Like you do not want to get out of bed and face the day. You know what's coming, and you're like, I don't want to face it. Or maybe you've been to that point where you almost feel paralyzed because you know what you have to do and you don't know where to start. It seems too big. And we see, have these moments where we're overwhelmed and it seems so complicated. Maybe you even feel that way in your relationship with God. You say, this is too much, too big. I don't understand. I've heard a thousand different things about what being a Christian is. What is it? It's too big. Well, I want you to understand we can complicate our lives usually in one of two ways. The first way we complicate our life is when we do this, when we try to do too many things. When we add too many responsibilities, we make too many commitments. We don't give ourselves enough time and enough resources. We think that we can handle more than we can, and maybe even others think that we can handle more than we can, and our lives end up this complex maze of tasks, goals, and agendas. I remember when I first moved to New York. Within just a few months of being here, about six months of being here, I had four jobs going on. I was helping get this church started, so I was pastoring and starting this church. When I moved up here, I, was, I also did business consulting with my cousin who owns a business, so I was working with companies like Toys R Us and PGA Tuperstore. I was tour, going all over this region doing business consulting with them, and, and then Our local Baptist Association here asked me to help them with their website and some of their strategies for social media, so I started doing that. And then I had a friend who worked at another organization who knows I had a communications background. He said, can you help lead our communication strategies for this organization? And I was saying yes to all these things because I was like, we need resources. We need money. This is a good thing. But all of a sudden, I woke up one day, and I said, I can't do it. Too much. This crushing weight was sitting, I had taken on too much responsibility. And I remember sitting literally, laying in my bed, feeling like a weight was on me and said, I've got to let something go. I've got to stop. And I overcomplicated my life by trying to do too much. But the other way we can complicate our life is almost by doing the exact opposite. It's when we don't do enough of the right things. We can complicate our lives when, when we let basic tasks slide. When we don't pay our bills on time, we don't spend time with our spouse or our kids, we don't do our homework, we don't show up for work. Doing nothing is not a cure for a complicated life. It actually makes our lives incredibly complicated if we do nothing. 
I mean, you know that feeling when you come back from vacation? Like you've been, you've been away doing nothing for however long, two days, two weeks, whatever, and you come back and it's that first day back at work? What do you feel like? I don't want to do anything. Like, why am I, why am I back, not back on the beach? Why am I not, you know, why can't I just lay here on the beach for the rest of my life? Because eventually the bill comes due. Eventually the hotel will say, you have to pay or we're going to kick you out. Like, you have to follow through on some of your responsibilities. And so sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to uncomplicate my life. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to let go of everything. And when we do that, that actually complicates our lives just as much. And the goal is to live somewhere in between those two realities. Not trying to do too much, not overcomplicating things, but not also doing nothing. Finding what it is that where we live in that happy middle. Because the truth is this plays out in our spiritual lives as well. We can complicate things by adding rules, establishing moral codes, making declarations, writing position papers, drawing lines. But we can also complicate our spiritual lives by doing absolutely nothing and still expecting God's blessings to flow in our lives without any level of obedience. We've got to learn to live in the in-between, in the middle. So in the next few minutes, what I want us to do is try to unravel this and uncomplicate what it means to follow Jesus and be a part of New City Church, to kind of live in that in-between, between nothing and too much. Our goal is to find that balance of not adding too much, but also not taking away. Being obedient, but not feeling the guilt and shame of not living up to some moral code. This isn't different, and honestly, this isn't my idea. This is what Jesus taught and what played out in a multitude of Christ followers as they sought to follow Jesus. And so what I want to start with this morning is I want to give you four things that we are as a church. We have, we have one focus as a church to help you see this this morning. Our focus is simple. We're going to love God and love people. That's what the gospel is. Love God, love people. We talked about even this even a few weeks ago in our, when we talked about the Good Samaritan. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that you do your best to love God and love others. The focus of Christianity isn't building buildings, growing large mega churches. The focus of Christianity isn't leveraging our influence for political power. The focus isn't making statements of condemnation to individuals that don't subscribe to our same belief systems. The focus of following Christ is loving God and loving others. This is stated way back in the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the first books of the Bible. One of the first commands is to love God and love others. It's repeated in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke to love God and love others. In all of Paul's writings, he reinforces and shows examples of how to love God and love others. If you want to follow Jesus, you must love God and love others. That's our focus. If we do that, though, what do we experience? This is what we say as a church. If you want to follow Christ and you love God and love others, you're going to experience something. And here's what we say you experience. We believe that you will experience the most pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. If you decide to do this and to, to walk your daily life loving God and loving others, you're going to experience more pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope than anything else. Something amazing happens when this activates in our lives. Through this outflowing of love toward others and toward God, we begin to experience the full blessings of God back, back into our life. 
circumstances stop defining our outlook. And even in the midst of great trials, we can experience true pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. And the truth is this. This is what all creation longs for. This is what every person desires in their life. We search after, we long for pleasure, we strive for peace, we pursue meaning, and we chase after hope. But God pours it richly into our lives, all of those things, when we simply follow him by loving God and loving other people. And that's great. And why doesn't every church do that? Because sometimes churches try to throw other things into the mix. And so I want to tell you some things that we, as a church, work very hard to avoid. And the first one is this. We want to avoid guilt. We want to avoid indoctrination. We want to avoid invading your life. And we want to avoid condemning. That's not who we are as a church. And when we start putting those into the mix, that's where the religious entanglements begin to happen. Over the years, religions have become experts in using guilt to try to indoctrinate us into a certain type of behavior. They invade our lives trying to overtake every aspect of who we are, and they condemn areas that don't meet up to their standards. And these are things we should avoid at all costs. These are actually enemies to pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope, which means they are enemies to God. So that's what we experience, what we avoid. And the last thing is this, because you may say, well, I've been trying to follow Christ all my life. Why is that not happening? And it's maybe because you're not doing this fourth step, which is participating. We as a church, I want to challenge people to participate by doing four things. Ask, join, serve, and grow. You may say, I, you know, I've been doing this, but I've, I've not been doing, I've not been experiencing pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. Maybe it's because you've chosen not to participate I want to be very honest. Sometimes as church leaders, we have trained people to think that the major role of a Christ follower is to show up once a week, hear a sermon, give some money. That isn't participating. That's spectating. Today, this afternoon, football season kicks off. I love football season. I love watching football. But today, over the next, over this weekend, with all the teams that play professional football, there will be about 1,700 men on the field actually participating in a football game. 1,700. In a given year, over 17 million people will sit in stands and watch them play. And over a given year, countless millions will simply sit on their couch and watch the TV and watch these 1,700 people play. Who's really participating? Is it the guy sitting on the couch? Is it even the guy in the stands? Or is it one of those 1,700 people on the field? It's one of the players. And what we've done as a church is to say, look, I'm the player. You guys, and this is kind of crazy, like we're sitting in stadium seating here. Like, you guys watch me. You guys watch what I do. Cheer it on. Say, I'm here. Here's some money. Go do some good stuff. That's not church. That's not participating. Participating is coming down from here, stepping onto the field, stepping out into the field, and making a difference by asking, joining, serving, and growing. Participating isn't just listening. It's asking questions. It isn't just showing up. It's joining your life with others. It isn't just giving money or using your gifts and resources. It is serving others. It isn't just being consistent in attendance, but it's committing to take steps of growth. And we're going to look at these four words over the next five, four weeks and learn how we can participate. At the end of every Sunday over the next four weeks, I'm going to ask you to do something. 
going to ask you to come onto the field and participate. And today it's the idea of serve. It's serving. And today I want to focus on this idea and why do we start with serving? Because that truly is the heart of what Christianity is. Jesus did not come to this earth to set up an earthly kingdom. He didn't overthrow the Roman Empire. He didn't make demands on individuals and towns that he was coming to. He didn't create an entourage of people to give hype to his mission and to his miracles. It's not what Jesus did. Instead, he came to serve. Look at Matthew 20, 26 through 28. It says this, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you will be the slave. Even as the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' mission, the way that he showed love for God and love for others, was through serving. If you're confused about what it means to be a Christian, start by serving. If you feel like your spiritual life is too complicated, stop doing the other things and start serving. If you feel like you're lacking motivation and no passion for the things of God, then make a commitment to start serving. It's where it starts. It is the fuel for our ability to follow Christ and to love God and love other people. You won't have the right motives to ask the right questions if you're not serving. You'll only grow in knowledge and not experience true life transformation if you aren't serving. You will tire of the shortcomings of other people and spending your life with them if you aren't serving them. Serving is the fuel for the other parts of what we do. And I want to give you a quick story today out of Nehemiah chapter 3, because I think this chapter is a great example of what serving really is. Let me give you a little background. Nehemiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, or he was uh, Israel at the time had been conquered by Babylon. They were spread out everywhere. There were still people, some living in Jerusalem, but he was living in Babylon. And he went back one day and saw the ruin of Jerusalem, especially the walls. And he was heartbroken. And he saw people just coming in and devastating the city. And he said, we need to rebuild the walls. And the king of Babylon at the time didn't really want Jerusalem to be a Jewish state again. But he said, you're right, Jew and Jerusalem is part of my kingdom. We should build the walls. And so he gives Nehemiah resources and he says, go back to your home city and rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah does an amazing thing. In 52 days, the walls are rebuilt. Actually, that isn't true because it wasn't Nehemiah who did it. It was a whole host of people who did it with Nehemiah. It's not, this is not the story of Nehemiah going as a one-man show and going around and building and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. This is a story of an incredible amount of people working together to accomplish something great. If you look at Nehemiah 3, I'm not going to read it because there's a lot of names in here that I don't know how to pronounce. And, uh, but I want you to see from the very beginning. Let me just read a couple of verses to you. It says this. Then Elisha, I'm just going to say them. If you say them with confidence, if you say names with confidence, nobody else knows. Right? So uh, then Elisha, uh, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it. They set its doors. They consecrated it as far as to the Tower of the Hundred and as far as to the Tower of Hanel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the sons of Emery built. The sons of Hansel were next to them. And it goes on and on and on. And even down to verse 13 and 14, where it says, 
they continued to build. I love verse 14. It says, Malekajah, the son of Rashab, ruler of the district of Bath, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and his doors and its bolt and his bars. I mean, even the, the job probably nobody wanted. Like they record here who did it. The dung gate where they took all their trash out, right? I mean, this is not, but even in this, if you read through the entire chapter, Nehemiah's name is mentioned once. No more than anybody else's names. This was everybody coming together. They were passionate. They did their part. They did their job. And this is what true serving is. It's when the body of Christ gets together and everyone picks up their tools and talents and does the part they are best at. So does this really mean that for us today that it just boils down to doing some menial task? Is that what serving is? The truth is, yeah, that's actually it. It's actually doing something. It's not just saying that's a good idea. Yeah, we should serve. Somebody should serve. It's actually doing it. It's picking up your hammer, building a gate, laying stones, placing timbers. It's staying late to help tear down. It's changing a diaper, our dung gate, for our baby's area. It's doing silly hand motions or just songs to help children get excited about Jesus. It's coming early to greet new people that come to church for the first time. By serving, I want you to hear this. The history of our church is being written. Just like Nehemiah 3 recorded the history of the walls being rebuilt. One day maybe it will be said that you served in the children's area. You read to them. You played with them. You sang to them. And many children placed their faith in Christ. Or one day it will be said that you got up early, you stood in the cold, you served coffee, you introduced yourself a hundred times to new people, and many of those people connected their lives with God and New City Church. Or you may say, I played an instrument, I helped sing, I did sound, I helped with the staging. Many people learned to worship God. Please hear me clearly this morning. I never want anyone here to serve out of guilt. I told you that's one of the things we avoid. I never want you to serve out of guilt. There is no passion in people who serve out of guilt. There is no pleasure for those who serve out of guilt. I would rather have fewer volunteers than to use guilt to persuade people to serve because I believe there's a higher calling to serve and a higher motivation than guilt. It's to be a part of something bigger and something grander than any of us can be a, a part of by ourselves. Nehemiah couldn't rebuild that wall by in 52 years He couldn't have done it by himself. But in 52 days, with a group of people like what's sitting in this room, he did an unimaginable task, something that is still being talked about today. You can still go and visit places in Jerusalem that Nehemiah rebuilt. So let's pray together.